Um, look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. And if you look at this passage, you're going to say, well, that's really encouraging and uplifting. But it's truth. 1 Peter 4, and we're going to start in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. You know, sometimes as believers, we think, well, I love God, and I serve God, and I'm trying to walk with God. Why would this come my way? Why would I have to go through this? I don't understand. God, isn't it supposed to be a tiptoe through the tulips? Why am I walking through the briars of the roses? Well, there's a purpose. There's a plan. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. I read a missionary story about a couple who were in China and it was uh, a heart-wrenching story. They went there to minister to this certain group of Chinese people, and that was just about the time that the communists came in and um, the Japanese, and uh, all this confusion and imprisonment and all these horrible things happened. And uh, the title of the book was Green Leaf and Drought. And that's because it got so bad. You know, you think, I'm going out to serve God. I'm going to bring, you know, share the gospel with these people. Oh, it's going to be just a wonderful time. But as soon as they got there, literally everything came against them. And many times they had no food. Many times uh, the, they, the Japanese had them in prison that they couldn't go out and be with the Chinese people. We're here to witness. We're here to minister. We can't even get out of this room that we're in to go and minister to them. Why are we going through all of these things? And it was a long time, and they had a little baby. And so many times they didn't even have adequate food for the baby. But God would provide in the most incredible ways. And they just kept trusting God and resting in God. And finally, long story short, the wife and the baby were released first. And down the road, the husband was relieved. It had a, had a good ending, although some of those missionaries back in those days were actually martyred for their faith. But you have to look at it and say, why? Why did you have to go through that? Why didn't that ministry, you just be able to serve those people, minister those people, and the people come to Jesus? Well, the truth of the matter is, many did come to Jesus. You know why? Because they saw them going through things that those very people were going through also. 
But they saw the green leaf in drought. They saw the fact that even though they were going through these persecutions and these trials and these difficulties, did not know the end result, didn't know from moment to moment if their lives might be taken, they saw Jesus in them in the midst of the drought. Turn with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17. That's where that word comes from, leaf, green leaf in drought. Look at Jeremiah 17. <laughs> it gives us a, a, a um, comparison. A comparison of those who have learned to trust God, who have, have become mature in the Lord, versus the man who trusts in man. And the first part, verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Now, in your natural man, you're going to make flesh your strength, right? When something happens, what do we want to do? We want to run, find somebody that they're going to make us feel better. And many times we want to run to other people before we want to run to God. And really, he's the one we should be running to in the first place, right? That we're so used to man being our strength, man making us feel better, man lifting us up, instead of turning to the one who really can make a difference. Cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Because you see, so many times things come and don't look good. But God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. He's going to be like a tumbleweed. You ever seen a tumbleweed? There's nothing to hold them down. They're tossed back and forth and up and down. And what is the life of a tumbleweed? He has no life. And that's what it's saying here, that when I'm trusting in myself or I'm trusting in others, I'm going to be like that, that weed, that tumbleweed, that shrub in the desert, tossed back and forth. But look at verse 7. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. My hope is not in me. My hope is not in this world getting better. My hope is not in others. My hope is in him. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. Heat can come in a lot of forms in our lives. We don't have to fear the storms. We don't have to fear the difficulties, the twists in the road, the unexpected things that crop up. Because my trust is in him. And we're going to find out those areas we need to trust him in in order to have that peace when everything's going the opposite way. We'll not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The greatest testimony for those Chinese who were either brand new Christians or had never come to the Lord was to watch someone go through the th same things they were going through. But this man and his wife had the peace that passes all understanding. They had God's comfort. They had God's strength. They had the hope, their hope in God. They knew that even if they were to perish, 
Where would they be for eternity? They'd be with him. We have hope now. We have hope for eternity. And this picture that these Chinese observed in this couple was the picture that led them to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus when they were going to be going through very difficult situations, huge trials, and yet they had God with them every step of the way. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but, I, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The truth of the matter is life is neither easy nor fair. But Jesus warned us that it would be that way. So if these trials and tribulations and difficulties are inevitable, how do we prepare? How are we ready for these things that definitely are going to come our way? The Bible says the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We can have similar problems and difficulties and trials as people who don't even know Jesus. But unlike those who go through these things without the Lord, we have him. We have him every step of the way. And he tells us in Hebrews that he is the anchor. His hope is the anchor of our soul. And that we can legitimately have hope because God has, swore, has sworn by himself, by himself who is unchanging, that we legitimately can trust in him and trust in his word. For he's not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. What he has said in his word, he will do. He says, by two immutable things. Immutable means unchanging. And it's actually a legal term, meaning it's never going to change. It's binding forever. And he says, he is immutable in his word and in his character. We don't have to fear we can trust him. As I'm going through these deep waters, when the waters overflow me or the fire looks like it's going to burn me up, I can trust in him. He's a faithful God. So one of the first things I want to say, one way we prepare is that we do not want to dwell in immaturity, okay? The Greek word for immaturity is nepios, and it lit literally means <laughs> babies, Breast-sucking babies. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Not just babies, but breast-sucking babies. That means the little tiny ones, okay? Except in the case of our singer here. <laughs> she has them all over the place, sucking. <laughs> Never mind. She was just telling us a, joke, uh, a story. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, or breast-sucking babies. <laughs> I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, 
And even now, you're still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who's Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. Carnal, the unhealthy desire for flesh, for the lust of the flesh, or to depend on the flesh. The unhealthy desire for flesh not being under control of the spirit. I can't even speak to you because you're not spiritual people. You're walking in your flesh. Okay, now turn with me to Ephesians 4, verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. And this is talking about the gifts of the spirit. In verse 12, it says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That literally means mature man. To a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, infants, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You see, as I'm growing in Christ, as I'm maturing in him, then I'm going to know when someone is speaking deceit, when they're saying things that are not true. Uh, while, while I was in the uh, conference room a, a while a, bit, a minute ago, um, my daughter FaceTimed me. I had to look up a word on my phone, and the FaceTime thing rang, and it was my daughter with my granddaughter. And She said, oh, my granddaughter's in school now and her new subjects and all that. And uh, she said, Grandma, did you know in World War I that uh, the, the, supposedly the Germans bl blew up a ship, and it wasn't even the Germans. It was the British. And I'm thinking, what in the world? <laughs> Nowadays, you never know what's going to come out in a history class, what they're going to tell you is truth. I said, well, London, I, I never heard of that before, but I would suggest maybe you dig a little deeper and just, is that really true? I mean, I'm not questioning her teacher, but anyway. And then I told her, I said, listen, it's like that with the Word of God. You need to know God's Word to be able to know what's true and what's not. And this Yahoo that comes through and gives you all this flowery stuff, God is this, or you should do this, or whatever. Do, are you mature in the Lord that you can discern? Do you have spiritual discernment to know? No, this is not of God. Just like uh, Lynn was mentioning that book. There are a lot of things coming out. We have to really have God's discernment to know. Is this of God? Is it not? But we have to know his word in order to have that discernment. The infants, we don't want to be those children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. 
You see, the enemy strategizes how he can entrap us, how he can get us to fall from our steadfastness that we talked about in 2 Peter 3. So instead of being immature, we want to be mature. Maturity, to be sought after. And in the Greek, it's to tell you, I don't know how to do it. My husband, if you ever uh, look up Blue Letter Bible on the Internet, that voice that pronounces those Greek words and those Hebrew words is my husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's him. Yeah, it's funny. We went to a church one time to visit, and the pastor got up, and he was trying to pronounce some Greek word, and he said, you know, because my husband had been his teacher, and he said, you know, I'm going to let my teacher pronounce it. Well, it wasn't my husband standing up to pronounce it, but they turned on Blue Letter Bible, and my husband heard his own voice pronouncing the word. It's kind of funny. Anyway, <laughs> maturity to be sought after. The word in Greek literally means to be perfect, to be mature, to be complete. That's what we want. Not perfect in that you're sinless. No, perfect in that you're mature, you're growing in him, you're becoming what he would have you be. Uh, turn with me to James chapter 1. James 1. And we're going to look at verse 2. And you know, when you first read this, you're like, uh, hmm, I don't know. My brethren, count it all joy. Woohoo! Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. God, you got to be kidding. That ain't a joy. I get in a trial, I'm going, God, get me out. God, get me out. God, get me out. <laughs> count it all joy. Why? Why do we count it all joy? Knowing that the testing or the strengthening of your faith produces patience. Now, if you've ever had an injury and you've had to go to physical therapy, when they start working whatever part it has been broken or injured or whatever, it does not feel good. It's painful. Like my husband says, the best thing about going to the gym is leaving. <laughs> he said those commercials on TV and they show the people uh, with no body fat whatsoever, and they're doing this with this little workout machine, and, and they're smiling. He said, that's a lie. Nobody smiles when they're really working out to look like that. <laughs> so, I don't even know why I told y'all that. Oh, I know. The, the working, the pet physical therapy. You're working that thing. It hurts. It's painful. But as you continue to do it, what happens? That part, that injured part, is strengthened. And it's necessary in order to get full use of it again. It's the same thing with us spiritually. God will send these things our way to test us, to strengthen us, to teach us. And look at the result. Knowing the testing, the strengthening of your faith produces patience. How many of you have wanted to be patient? You've even maybe prayed for patience. It can't come in and of yourself. It has to be a work of God. And many times he sends us through things to teach us that patience, that endurance, to produce that by his Holy Spirit in us. So he says, let patience have its perfect work, its whole work, its mature work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking 
nothing, that you may be whole, that you may be mature, lacking nothing. It's for a reason. Nothing is by chance. God is in control. God has a plan. And that plan is for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. My dad used to say this, God has no trivial plan. He's not seeking to make you comfortable, but to make you eternal. See, this life is but a vapor. We're here, we're gone, but a breath. God is, is preparing us, actually, for eternity. Eternity with him. He's doing that work in us. An immature, if you're an immature Christian, you're not going to be able to count it all joy. Paul, Paul was one who knew God intimately. So he could say, uh, this is James saying count it all joy. But Paul, if you look over at Romans 5, look what he had to say about the issue. Romans 5, verse 3, says, Not only that, but we glory in tribulations. Do you say that? Oh, glory, hallelujah, I'm in another tribulation. Goody, goody, gumdrops. No, I don't think so. But why could he glory in tribulations? Why? Knowing that tribulation produces in my life. It produces perseverance and perseverance, character. That's the character of God. That means the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And character, hope. You see, because then my hope is no longer in me or my circumstances. My joy is no longer in circumstances. It's in the fact that God is in control. It's in the fact that God has a plan. It's in the fact that God's doing a work in me. He's producing in me. He's bringing forth his character in me. That enables me to persevere. That enables me to, to trust, to have peace, to have hope in the midst of whatever's going on. When I was 22 years old, my parents were crashed, plane crashed in Chile. And my mom and my dad and sister were killed at the same time. My little brother survived. Listen. To get the news that most of your family has been wiped out? Wow. But I want to tell you, God was there. God was with me. God reminded me of the scripture in Psalm 139 that says, I know the days that you will live when you haven't lived one of them. And I thought God knew the days my parents would live. He knew the days my sister would live. They were in their mid-40s. She was only 17. But God said, these are the days I've given. Now I'm calling you home. I, I want you home with me for eternity. You've completed what I put you here for. And that's an awesome thing to realize. They're with him. I will be with them forever in eternity. Yes, do I miss them? Yes, do I grieve over not having them here? But at the same time, I know they're in a better place. I know that they wouldn't come back if I paid for them to have a ticket from heaven. <laughs> you see, God knows all these things. He says we glory in these things. And he said in verse 5, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faithfulness of God in these times. Uh, look with me at 2 Corinthians 4 real quick. 
I love this scripture. We're hard, verse 8. We're hard pressed on every side. Do you feel that way sometimes? You're hard pressed on every side? You should be as thin as a, a dollar bill. <laughs> I just, when I'm hard pressed, I just get bigger. <laughs> We're hard pressed on every side, but look what he says. Yet, not crushed. He says, we're perplexed. Are you perplexed many times? You know, my husband had a lot of growth needed in his life. That's why God gave him five daughters. He stayed in a state of perplexity. I don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand what they're doing. I don't get it. We could have conversations at the dinner table, and he had no idea what we were talking about. Because we change, you know how you change things and conversate? Women, we do. We can follow it. We have to follow kids and talk at the same time. We can do it. He couldn't. He was like, I thought you were talking about that. What? What? So confused. He had to die to himself consistently. See, he didn't die enough by God giving me as a tool of death. God gave him five daughters to do the job. <laughs> it's worked. <laughs> okay. So Paul said, perplexed, but I'm not in despair. Listen, perplexity can lead you to despair if you don't know who's in control. It can lead you to despair if you don't know that God loves you and has a plan. And that's what you have to continually remind yourself. Yes, he loves me. Yes, I've been adopted by him. I love it in uh, 1 John 3. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold it. Contemplate it. Think about it. Dwell on it. Especially when you're perplexed. Especially when you're hard-pressed. Remember the love that he has for you. He loved. He brought you out of darkness into light. He saved you from yourself. We're, we're, we do ourselves in, don't we? We're our worst enemy many times. But he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? That we can proclaim the excellency of who he is. That's what we're here for. So Paul said, I'm hard-pressed, I'm perplexed, I'm persecuted. And he was. Man, we don't even know the meaning of persecution, do we? According to what Paul went through. He's persecuted, but he's not forsaken. And that would be the time when you'd feel forsaken. Why am I going through this? God, have you left me? Do you not love me? Are you not here with me? And that is all a lie from the pit. Yes, I'm here with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's an awesome, awesome promise that we have from God. I remember one time I was speaking at a church, and a lady was coming to that speaking engagement, and she was crying out to the Lord in her car. She said, God, do you love me? Do you still love me? Life is so hard right now. Oh, God, I, I just need to know that you love me. Can you just speak to me to my, tonight and reassure me of your love? Well, she got there, and we had the service, and afterwards she came walking down the aisle, and tears were streaming down her face. She walked up to me, and she pointed to me and to a pen on my lapel. She said, do you know where you got that pen? And I said, well... I think a lady at a retreat gave it to me. She said, it was me. She said, when you walked out on that stage, the first thing I saw was that pen. And that was God's telegram to me saying, I love you. See, I remember you. I didn't remember her. 
But God did. I didn't go to my jewelry box and say, oh, God, give me a pen to minister to somebody. <laughs> no, I randomly picked a pen out and stuck it on, not thinking anything about it. I don't even know what pen it is now. I, could, I couldn't find it if you told me to. But God knew. And God knew what it would do to touch her life and let her be reassured of his love. Isn't that incredible? My daughter was murdered when she was 19, 11 years ago. And the week before, God gave me a scripture. I had no idea that was going to happen. But he reminded me of a scripture he had given me when she was born. She was born a month early and almost died. And they told us, if you know somebody to pray, call them, because she's not going to make it. And I opened my Bible in the hospital room. that I hadn't even been able to hold her. They took her right from delivery into intensive care. But I took my Bible, and I said, oh, God, I need comfort right now. I need your ministry right now. And I just opened my Bible and looked down, and my eyes fell on a verse, and it says this, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. I thought it even got the right sex, you know, she, not a he. And I grabbed that verse at that moment, and God healed her. Well, 19 years later, here we are. And I was crying out to God for her again because she had gotten involved with this man that was not a good man. I didn't even know at the time how bad he was. But I was crying out to the Lord for her, for her to come home, for, her to, for God to do a work. And little did I know at that very moment, she was with a girl from the Calvary Chapel Bible College there in Marietta. She worked with her at Starbucks. And they were together that night, and my daughter was crying, and this girl was ministering to her. Ashley, just look to the Lord. Go back home to your parents. Just look to the Lord. God was doing a work. And he said to me, remember the verse I gave you when she was born? I said, yes, Lord, but I never can find it. And I looked, I said, I took my Bible, and I opened it up. I knew it was in the book of Luke somewhere, but I opened it up, and I looked down, and there was the verse, but it was in Mark. The, real, the original one was in Luke. But God knew it was two places. <laughs> he led me to Mark the second time. And he said this. He said, just as I healed her physically, I am healing her spiritually. Okay, Lord, I trust you. I choose to trust you. I don't feel it. I can't necessarily see it, but I trust you. One week later, she was murdered. When we had a memorial service back in Colorado where we pastored, the pastor got up, and as he, he got up, he said to us, I've been praying for a verse to comfort the Alfreds. He said, the Lord gave me the strangest verse. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she shall be made well. You don't hear that verse at a funeral service, but you see, that was God's telegram to me. To say, I'm in control. I took care of it. She's with me. So Paul's saying, we're going through all these things. We're persecuted. We're not forsaken. We're struck down, verse 9, but not destroyed. How could he say these things? How could he proclaim that he wasn't crushed? He wasn't in despair. He wasn't forsaken. He wasn't destroyed. Because you see, he knew God. He knew Jesus. He had a relationship. He knew God's word. And God was speaking to his heart. 
telling him, verse 10, always caring about in body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. It's all about death to self so that the life of Jesus can be produced in us. That's the only way it can be produced in us. When I'm dead, then the life of God can come forth to be able to influence others for him, to bring him glory. It says, we who lived are always delivered to death. Woo! We thought we had to be delivered from these trials and tribulations. No, he's delivering you to them. Special delivery. <laughs> I'm delivering you to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal, mortal flesh. And then if you go on over to verse 15, it says, All things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. You see, I'm partaking of the grace of God. I'm partaking of his comfort. I'm partaking of his peace. I'm partaking of the knowledge that he's in control. I'm partaking of his love. Oh, what manner the love of the Father has given to us that we be called the sons of God. I'm partaking of these things, and no matter what comes my way, I know he's in control. I know he's faithful. I know he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything I can imagine. He is a faithful God. So Paul says, it's for your sakes. Because I'm partaking of the grace and going through these trials. And you're watching it. And it's going to be a testimony to you of the grace of God. The powerful grace of God. And then he says, therefore, we don't lose heart. And this is the thing, ladies, today, no matter what you're going through, and I know a lot of you are going through tough things, God wants to give you a telegram to say, don't lose heart. I'm doing a work. It's a necessary work. I can't see what God's doing necessarily, but by faith, I know he's doing a work in me. He's changing me. He's preparing me. He's uh, enabling me in every way. We do not lose heart. Even though outward man is perishing, inward man's being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, that's God's perspective. Many times it doesn't seem like light affliction to me. Hello. But God is a master potter. And I'm that lump of clay that he's made into something. He's making me into something. And he puts me in the fire. And I'm thinking, oh, God, it was too hot even when you put me in here. I'm going to die. And he goes, that's the idea. I'm in this fire, and he knows how long to leave me in there. The master potter knows. He knows what he's forming this pot to be. Do you know that translucent china is heated so intensely and for such a period of time that when it comes out, literally, you can see through it. It's translucent. And that's the thing, that people see through us and see Jesus. And so the heat can be very high, but the master potter knows what he's doing. He has a plan. And then it says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us 
of far more exceeding, and get this, eternal weight of glory. He's preparing you for eternity. He's doing a work in you and through you for eternity. Maturity is recognizing his awesome love. Recognizing that I can have hope in him because of who he is. No matter what the circumstances are, I know God is in control. He says that his right hand is guiding me. He said that he has my name written in the palm of his hand. He says he even knows the hairs of my head that are on my head and the ones I've lost. And my poor husband, he's having a hard time keeping up with those hairs that he's losing. I mean, they're abundant. He knows all of that about us, and he loves us so incredibly. That's an awesome thing to know. His love caused us to be adopted as his children. Did we deserve it? Did we earn it? No. You know, I have several adoptions in my family. My daughter, oldest daughter, couldn't have children, and she adopted a little girl from China. We adopted in, and we adopted out. My 19-year-old daughter, who was killed, had a little boy. He was adopted by a family. Adoption is an amazing thing. It's a choice. People choose to adopt this child. And my little grandson thinks everybody's adopted. <laughs> he, he thinks it's a good deal. We've told him from day one he was adopted, and he's excited. He, he, rem he says, I am thankful for my adopted mother. In fact, he wrote a paper calling my hero, my, I mean, not my adopted mother, my birth mother, my hero, because she loved him so much, she didn't want him to be harmed by that man, and she gave him to this awesome family. In fact, we went to the foot, their football game last night. We're close. We know each other. He has that knowledge that she loved him, but most of all, that God loved him. That's what we need to know. He loved us. He adopted us. He chose us from the foundation of the world to be his children. His love caused him to adopt me. I have redemption through his blood. I have forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What if God forgave you the amount you might forgive somebody else? Yikes. We'd be lacking in grace, wouldn't we? But he loves us according to the riches of his grace. Abundant grace. That's just the incredible thing about our God. He chose us. He called us. Look at Galatians 4 real quick. Galatians 4. And it says, and this is verses 3 through 7. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Aren't you thankful that God hears your cry? When you're going through the hardest places, you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. You know, I love the fact that my father loved me. I mean, I know a lot of people don't have 
human fathers that love them, but I did. I, have a fa- I had a, a human father that loved me greatly. And you know what? I wanted more than anything else to please him because of his love for me, because he loved me so abundantly. I just wanted to please him. I wanted to bring joy to him. And that's the way it is with our Heavenly Father. He loves us like no earthly father ever could. His love never fails. And I, as he loves me, then I in turn, because of his love for me, I want to love him back. I want to do what he wants me to do, to honor him, to revere him. That's what's called the fear of the Lord. I fear the Lord. I have reverence for him. I want to please him. I want to do what he would have me do. And then the scripture in Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that incredible? That's something we need to dwell on. Nothing can separate me from his love, which is an amazing thing. The Father's great love for us is the kind of experience that should grow stronger and stronger year by year until it totally dominates every aspect of our lives, consumes our thoughts, controls our behavior, motivates us to serve God and live pure lives. We also have to recognize how powerful our God is. I want to read you one portion of scripture. Um, Look at Isaiah chapter 40. I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. And look at verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. I'd like to make a few judges useless. Well, we got a judge now. All that's going on, we need to pray. God put the judge there that he wants there in our Supreme Court. We need to cry out to God, God, we need judges who are going to judge righteously in our country. Scarcely shall they be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth when he will also blow on them and they will wither and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. I think of those, uh, remember when you're a kid, the dandelions produced that little fuzzy thing? What do we call that? It has a name? I don't know. Dandelion fuzzy thing. And you know how you, the kids will pick that and they bring it, and then you take it and you go, and it just, that's what I think about every time I read this. He'll blow on them and they will wither and gone. To whom then will you liken me, God's saying? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. You know, it's funny because our scientists, as we go in, on and through the years, have found different things they didn't know before. Oh, there's this planet we didn't even know was there. There's this thing that we didn't know was there. They're finding these things out. God knows all about it. He's already named them. Wow. Awesome. Lift up your eyes on high. See who has created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. No one is missing. What if he just let the sun go a little bit closer to us? We would all have crispy critter suntans, wouldn't we? We'd be burned up. 
But look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? It's not fair. Wah! We can become such whiners and complainers, can't we? God, you haven't been fair to me. Look at Lynn. You did all that for her. You didn't do it for me. God says, why do you say that? See, when we're going through trials many times, that's what we do. I don't understand, God. This isn't fair. I, I don't have little bitty trials like she does. I have big giant ones. Why me? Why do you say that? Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. In Isaiah 55, he says, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His ways and his thoughts are higher. He has a greater plan than we know or can imagine. He is in control. He is doing a work in us. Our way is not hidden from him. All the things you're going through, he knows about. And I love the fact that I can cry out to my Abba Father. Oh God, I need encouragement. Oh God, I need comfort. I love the fact that he's given us sisters in Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to encourage. We're here to exhort. We're here to strengthen. Listen, this last year, when my kids have been going through so much over there in Belgium, I thank God for my prayer group. They've prayed me through so much. They've been there for me interceding, and I thank God for it. I thank God for the Internet because we can send our prayer requests so quick, quicker than getting on the phone. You know, it's just boom. And these sisters, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. That's what I use. I'm on Facebook. And I, you know why? Because I pray. I get so many prayer requests, it's not even funny. But you see, we can take them to the throne room. We can take them to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. Who is able? He's able. He's able to do all of it. We can trust in him legitimately. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. He gives power. Oh, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But here's the ticket, ladies. Those who wait on the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. Those who cry out to God shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk, walk and not faint. What an awesome promise from an awesome God. He says to us, lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge me, and I will direct your paths. 
God wants to use all the many things we go through in life, not only for our own growth and maturity, but in order that we can bring his light and life to others. I thank God when my daughter was killed, the comfort that I received from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank God for the one woman at the hospital who was a chaplain at the hospital, and she heard of my situation, and she came to me right after my daughter passed away. And she grabbed my hand, and she said, I had to come. I heard about you, and I wanted to share with you what God shared with me when my son was murdered in Mexico a year ago. Her words that were God's words brought so much comfort to my heart. Ladies, we have such an awesome opportunity. Oh, that we would know him so that he can shine through us. That we can bring, Paul said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I have been comforted by God that I now can comfort you. You know what? That's what I said to that lady. You have been comforted by God. And now you're comforting me. I clung to the words she shared. Words that brought me peace and comfort throughout and still do. And I've run across many people since that happened. Many people who've lost children or loved ones or whatever, for whatever reason. Some of them, they were murdered too. Some of them for other things, sickness, whatever. But they always, when they don't know Jesus, say, how do you get through? And I'm able to say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, because he loves, because I'm him, his. Thank God. He's so precious and he's so good. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you and praise you for your amazing love and your amazing grace, for the comfort of your Holy Spirit. How we thank you, God, for each other. Lord, that we even are free to come here and worship you and and fellowship together and get in your word. We're free to have that word before us, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.